0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, hello, Bad Boss Helpline.
1: Do you have a terrible boss? The Bad Boss Helpline is here to help. Call or email the Bad Boss Helpline and report your problem. Leave us a message and we'll anonymously send a copy of the best-selling guide to fixing work, The Joy of Work. To your savage supervisor No job too big No manager too monstrous Call 07845 233311 Or email Help at badbosshelpline.com Call now End the tyranny Bad Boss Helpline Hello, this is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about making work better. So now we're kicking off a new series of episodes for 2020. Today, this episode is a start of the year special and we're going into a 10 part series after this one. And that is a 10-part mini-series of how to fix your work culture. So I'm going to go into what work culture means, organisations that have managed to change their work culture, and I'm going to look into specific actions that any of us can take. Just want to give a couple of shout-outs before you start. If you're in the UK, the paperback of The Joy of Work is out this week. It's out on Thursday. looks fantastic in paperback, really light and easy to read. I'm doing a competition. If you want to win a Lunch and Learn at your firm, you need to go to penguin.co.uk, the joy of work. I should caution that when I tried the link uh, this weekend, it hadn't yet gone open. So it might only be live from publication date, which is, I think, the 17th of January. Anyway, part of the competition is I'm willing to travel anywhere in the UK. Uh, You might be a hospital in Leeds or you might be a shop in Aberdeen, whatever it is, I'm willing to travel. So please do enter. I mentioned before, the book's had an amazing response. It's been published in 13 languages, including Chinese, Italian, French, Portuguese, Korean. So I'm thrilled that in addition, on the 25th of February, it's coming out in the US. Now, just to demystify it, in the US, the same book is being called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. So At least a handful of people, a dozen people have said to me, I see you've got a new book out. Buyer beware. It's exactly the same book, but it's just given a title far far close to the podcast. Anyway, I'm coming to New York the week of publication and California and Austin for South by Southwest two weeks later. I'll put all the details on the website, eatsleepworkrepeat.com. Final bit of news is that I quit my job this week. I actually started a handover at the end of last year and on January the 6th, 6th, I left my job. I was vice president. I often don't talk about this. I was vice president for Europe, Middle East and Africa for Twitter. I adored it. I'll never have a job that good, will I? Blimey. Uh, I had the very best time and I've, I have equipped really to focus more, t- more time on work, culture stuff, working with companies who want to fix their culture and mainly, I want to dedicate the majority of my energy to try and to achieve something on climate change. And if you think that sounds vaguely ridiculous, well, I guess it is. I guess it is. But unless people try to do something, uh, then things like the flooding in Southeast Asia or the fires in Australia look like they're the taste of things to come rather than the unprecedented disasters that we might look at them as, as right now. Anyway, when I announced this last week, I was overwhelmed with so many just in the range of incredible things look you know if it takes me if the only thing i'm able to do is is leaflet people or you know sort of direct action i'll do that but i'm really hoping that there's some more positive things so if you have anything that you think i can help with on climate change please email me truly and that's bruce at eatsleepworkrepeat.com uh final thing to mention is that I've there's a campaign live today for the Bad Boss Helpline. And if you if you want to get involved and see anything to do with the Bad Boss Helpline, you can you can go to the website which is badbosshelpline.com. And the intention of that is that, you know, it's all very well me writing all this stuff and the very fact you're listening to this, you're interested in fixing your work. But the issue is quite often bad bosses. So the Bad Boss Helpline allows you to report people and I'll anonymously send a copy of The Joy of Work to the worst bosses. Go to the website badbosshelpline.com and you'll see details on that. Anyway, so if this all sounds like an unusual start to the year, an unusual career step, then maybe I've been listening to today's guests. Today's guests started off as people who I sort of encountered as as having a podcast and I listened to that and then along the way me and Helen Tupper one of the the pair chatted on Skype and before long me Helen Sarah had become friends largely because they're just incredibly open positive people who are fascinated with changing things and improving people's lives two of them make up a team an organization called Amazing If and they started off doing a podcast and now have a book with the same title the book is called uh, well the, the podcast was called Squiggly careers. The book is called The Squiggly Career. And and the book's really about making sense of what you want to do in your work. Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis have both lived the squiggly career life themselves. And so they really just bring their expertise to help others with their own careers and their own lives. They are truly an inspiration. And I think you'll love this book. It's sort of a brilliant book for men, women, young, old. If you're debating what to do, it's incredibly practical workbook in fact the uh, copy that I was originally given was filled with so many notes sort of it felt like it felt like something that you might do on an expensive career advice session if like me you started the year thinking what am I going to do with my life what am I going to do with my career then you're going to love this let's jump right in here are the authors of the squiggly career Well, thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to have fellow podcasters in the <laughs> house. Do you want to introduce yourself and say what you do?
2: Hi, I'm Sarah Ellis. I'm one of the co-founders of Amazing If... Um, We do a weekly podcast called Squiggly Careers, and we've just written our first book called The Squiggly Career. So basically, we're just following in Bruce's
3: footsteps. Essentially, that's our life, is following in Bruce's footsteps. (laughs) Uh, And I'm Helen Tupper. I'm the other half of the Squiggly Careers podcast. All of those things. (laughs) All all those things. And also Amazing If, which is the company that we co-founded together about six years ago, where our mission is to make work better for everyone.
1: Um, What was the reason you got going with it? So like to start a podcast, there's always and you talk about side hustles a little bit, but Mm -hmm. there's always a a moment of provocation that sort of prompts someone to to make a podcast. What was yours? What was the reason why you did it? Do
2: you know ours? You've known each other since you
1: were kids as well. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
2: so honestly, I think the reason was to give us an opportunity to talk to each other. Right. So we met at university 18, 19 years ago now. Uh, We weren't friends. Um, (laughs) Helen was like the life and soul of university, really extrovert, everyone loved her. I was less so, much more introverted, wasn't sure I wanted to be there, wasn't sure it was the right degree for me. Became friends kind of over quite a long period of time. And then about six, seven years ago, we were both working in the same city at the same time for the first time ever in our careers. And we just started to chat about work and culture and how our careers were changing, that they were getting a bit less linear and predictable and this squiggly career thing. And then we were like, should we just chat about it once a week for half an hour? And podcasts were just starting to be a thing. And we just thought we'd give it a go. The first time we did one, uh, and we got lots of feedback on it, we tried to script everything. And we were like, we need to script it all because we want it to be really good and really articulate and really useful. We thought that would be the best way to do it. And then everyone was like, no, you're much better when you take the script away and just chat to each other. So really, it was just an excuse to have a chat every week.
1: Okay, I like it. And (laughs) so Squiggly Careers, was it clear... the, the, The Squiggly Careers name has come a sort of when at what stage did that yeah. come around the idea
2: so we were chatting uh, over a coffee and i think i drew like a staircase like diagram and just said oh this just doesn't this whole career ladder thing just doesn't feel like our world of work today and i think we had both thought that was going to be our careers we were really driven and ambitious to get to the top of this like fictional ladder thing um and i remember saying to helen i've already had more jobs and worked in more companies than my dad and this this ladder thing just isn't what's happening. We were moving sideways, in and out of different industries, doing side projects, volunteering, all this different stuff. And at that point, I drew just like a squiggle on a napkin, a real, like, a cliche napkin moment, and just said, I think careers now are just squiggly. I think that's the new normal. And we were noticing that... It was definitely something we all had in common, but some people were really enjoying them and getting lots of more kind of fulfillment and creativity uh, from the kind of squiggly career. But actually, quite a lot of people were struggling and finding it quite stressful, quite confusing, quite overwhelming. And that's almost where our business came from, is going, okay, right, if if this is the new reality, for better or worse, how could we help people have the skills to really enjoy it and kind of make the most of it? And we could see that quite a lot of people maybe weren't or hadn't had access to some of the amazing things that we'd had uh, the opportunity to learn during our
3: careers. And I think Squiggly was the thing that stuck. So we didn't start out with some big strategic intention <laughs> yeah. in 2013 when we were having that coffee to uh, build this business and have a podcast. It was to work together about something we were passionate about and to help other people at work. That That was like the genesis of it, really. Uh, And when we were talking to people and we started delivering these workshops, the thing that people would tweet about us or that they would email us, it would be the squiggly career that they played back to us. So actually when we first launched the podcast, it was called like the Amazing If podcast. Mm. But more and more people were like, yeah, I've got a squiggly career. And we were like, hang on, this... they." They sort of reflect what we're we're talking about, but the thing that they really identify with is squiggly career because it gives them something. They're feeling this and they're experiencing it and it gives a title to something that they're kind of not quite sure that they can define. So I think... The business has grown very organically because people have resonated with what we talked about and squiggly career has mm. been one of the things that's most sticky to people. Right. Everyone sort of adopts it for themselves, mm.
2: which is really lovely. So though we try and define it a little bit, I actually really like the fact that everyone's everyone we talk to is like, oh I've got a squiggly career and people often mean quite different things by that. For some people that does mean moving in and out of industries. For some people that means that now they're working in a different way. Maybe they're trying out freelance, maybe they're trying out running their own business and then maybe going back to do something a bit different for some people it means massive changes of direction so I think almost the nature of the squiggly career is it's up to you to sort of make make that work for you and almost to kind of take ownership of your career and figure out what what do I want in my career what does success mean to me and I think in that ladder world success we also sort of have had this like unified version of success or we felt like we should have you know is that like what you should do I must get to the top of this and the higher I am the more successful I am I actually don't see that as much now with the people that we work with, the people in workshops. I think people are now being much more intentional and considered about going, what do I want my career to look like? How do I want to be spending my time? If we're going to be spending 47 years of our life at work and having potentially five different types of career, I actually want to really think about that for myself and and almost design it for myself, not let the company or my manager do the hard
1: work for me. It's yeah, really interesting, I, I saw an article by a guy called Derek Thompson in The Atlantic and he talked about how the career is the invention of the late 20th century, that mm. in the previous eras that people would do what their jobs their parents did and the idea that you would make progress is just fanciful, <laughs> that the idea, but then in the late 20th century it became this obsession mm. that not only do you need to create progress but if you're not creating progress you are some how failing compared to other people, and I think probably what you're articulating to me or how I read it is that it's just removing some of that unnecessary burden and thinking more about what you find enriching what you find rewarding all of us are they, all of us find our life is enhanced by doing a job and you're trying to to me, reduce some of the self-created pressures that mm. sometimes come with that.
3: It's quite. I think it's really complex in organisations as well because organisations have taken this construct of a career and they've wrapped like hierarchy around it, and the reward systems are like grades and promotions and 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 uh, bonuses, job titles. Yeah, and job titles, and therefore there's there's been this sense that oh, career is a really important thing, and the only way that I get myself recognised at work is if I have some of these kind of harder things coming through, and we're working with a lot of organizations now to say, okay, we know that people want squiggly, they want squiggly, but your organization isn't necessarily set up to deliver it. So how do we help you to have more career mobility within the company so that people can think about progression as reward that can happen in lots of different ways and not just this like vertical promotion thing. And I do think that's quite interesting. People are, I want squiggly, I'm open to looking at new things, but in my organisation I can still just see the ladder. um, And we're trying to help some organisations to sort of get rid of the ladder as the only way that they reward people in the company. So it's, I think it's quite hard for companies.
1: And so you've written this remarkably positive, like like relentlessly positive.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
3: Is that a positive? You say relentlessly
2: positive. Is that that a good thing? In a
1: really good thing, because the (laughs) thing that struck me when I was going through it was I was thinking so many of us are filled with anxiety and the absence of power. We feel powerless about our careers and Mm. our jobs. And I think the reason why it works feels to me like you've done... I think you've even told me, I think Sarah's told me, you've done a lot of these things as exercises. And they all feel like they're very cleverly evolved to to get to a specific point. Why do so many of us feel powerless in our jobs?
2: I think it's often because if you think about, uh, certainly if you're in the UK, when you go to school, which is where we all almost like learn to learn, the way that that education system often works is it has to be by necessity sometimes designed in a way where you're sort of not learning to learn, you're learning to pass an exam. You're learning the things that you need to learn within a curriculum. And whether you go to university or college, it's all quite systematised and specific around this is what you kind of need to do to succeed and tick lots of boxes, unfortunately. And I do think then lots of people kind of get into work and perhaps in some of these more hierarchical situations and scenarios. And there's not a lot of time or emphasis placed on self-awareness or helping people with self-awareness in a very practical and action-focused way. I think the thing that we're really trying to do is, I think there's loads of really big inspiration out there. You know, the amazing TED Talks or all those really big moments that you think, oh, wow, that's amazing. But then how you translate that into your job tomorrow or next week is quite tricky and so what you say we try to be we're relentlessly positive we also try to be relentlessly action focused so that actually you through the exercises get some self-awareness and know how to take action like what are you going to do with this self-awareness so you don't just sort of discover all this stuff about yourself and then think oh so so what or what what does this really mean Uh, I think this is most powerful where people start to just take loads of small actions, you know, start to build some kind of habits around learning your own kind of learning, taking ownership for your own career. And I think with all the uh, people we've met over the years in the different workshops we've done who do these exercises, once they start, they sort of never stop. And I think that's brilliant, this idea of being work in progress, not seeing any of this stuff as just like another box to be ticked, you know, like, oh, strengths, half an hour on a Friday tick ticked off the to-do list that's almost the last thing we want people to do uh yes do it in bite-sized chunks you know yes do it in a kind of accessible way in a way that fits into your week but don't just do it once kind of keep coming back to it keep doing that kind of discovery process and I think we probably started it uh, um 10-15 years ago we were really lucky to get access to some stuff that kind of like prompted this in us and then we started to realize just how powerful it is because you just start to make I think better choices for you I'd say ultimately. Give,
1: give us a specific. What sort of things are people yeah. coming back to time and time again, or what? Have they-
2: well, I think um, a good like, personal example, perhaps, um, to share from me. So, I was uh, working at Sainsbury's, um, and I was was getting promoted at the time. But I also asked if I could work a four day week. Um, I'd got hadn't got kids. Lots of people who want to work four days or flexibly traditionally. Um, it's because they're caring. They're doing something good, caring for their kids. I wasn't doing that. I wanted to spend more time on Amazing If and that felt like a really brave request to make of the organisation.
1: tell them why as well?
2: hundred percent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have to say I did, uh, <laughs> I did do a big PowerPoint presentation about why it was such a good idea because I was really nervous about it and I had to present it to somebody on the board of Sainsbury's and say I- I'm really committed to Sainsbury's and I really want to do this job that I was being promoted into and I'd like to do it on a four-day week so I can go and spend some other time running my business and I don't think I would have been brave enough to have that conversation which was still definitely hard if I hadn't had the self-awareness to know that I would have been better at my job if I could make those two things work and just how happy I knew I would be if I could do that and if that meant um, that perhaps I wasn't going to promote it as quite as quickly I was okay with that Um, and I felt like it was the right thing to do uh, for me so I think If I hadn't done that work on things like strengths and values, like knowing things that really motivate and
3: drive me, I don't think I could have made that decision. Right one of the other things that we see about your question about why do so many people feel powerless is that the it's almost like the parent-adult-child dynamic which gets transaction analysis. We see that played out in the workplace quite a lot. So you come into work, you kind of take on this child persona where your manager in the hierarchy becomes the parent that I have to, you know, get permission mm. from, seek mm. approval to, get direction from because sort of how, I've, you know, how I might have operated outside of work and that really holds people back because it means that they're waiting for their manager, waiting, for a promotion, an opportunity to use my strength. I've not got the confidence to seek that myself. And so when we talk to people about squiggly careers, we talk about actually everything's changing around you all the time. In the company, restructures, everyone else has got their own squiggly careers. It's it's on you. It's not on your company to provide these opportunities and to spot things for you to develop in. Actually, you need to know what you're great at. But a lot of people come to work with that like need for approval, uh, need for direction, need for permission from their manager sort of baked into their psyche.
1: That transactional analysis is fascinating because you, mm. you're completely right. You, you set me off immediately thinking that most of modern work, people are in that child position, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Where they feel an absence of control. Like you say, they're waiting for permission. And you're effectively saying that because we get so used to that being the norm, it then prevents us from actually applying our own adult thinking when it comes to our own career. Absolutely. Who's the audience for the book?
3: Oh. I think we would, say we would say everyone. We would say everyone.
0: everyone. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it
3: is interesting though. We do get a, um, some people are like, oh, is this a book for millennials? We're like, absolutely not. No. So we, you know, we work with organizations all. Or, all demographics, all all backgrounds. And I would say that squiggly career resonates with everyone. And you hear you hear so many squiggly career stories from people at different stages in their careers. I was talking to someone recently about um someone who's uh 18 and, and uh used to be in, I think he was in the military and now he's a photographer and he was like, Oh, I've I've got a squiggly career. And I was like, amazing, we should do a story with you because yeah. this isn't just I think the the shape of work, technology, the change, it is giving this opportunity to everybody but you've got to take it.
1: Let's talk through some of the specific exercises in there, because um, there's a couple of moments when I was going through that scribble, I love this. And one of them was was talking about people's strengths and getting people to talk through their strengths. I think I specifically loved, there was one part where you talk about how it's a human nature that we end up saying, I'm sort of quite good at this, mm. I'm <laughs> quite good at this. And be, again, because you've run these as exercises, you have to, you assert that people need to remove that modifier Mm. that they no longer say i'm quite good at this or i'm okay at this they have to say what i am good at is this and it was really for me instructive because it was just a good reminder that so much of the way we present ourselves to the world is in these diffident tones and and with moderation and it means that we struggle then to articulate what we are good at Mm. and what we what we we generally can offer to people
2: Yeah, and I think so humility is obviously no bad thing that, that, you know, it's good for people to have that. But I would even challenge you one step further and say it's a difference between being good at things and great. The thing that we really advocate in the book is thinking about the difference between your strengths and your super strengths. So there's loads of stuff that people are good at. And that's useful in squiggly careers because we all need to be so adaptable. We say now that your job spec basically goes out of the window. Day one of your job. Who, who looks at their job spec now mm. after day one of your new job? And so we do need people who are good at loads of things and can, can have that uh, flexibility. But we believe that everybody has two or three things that you can choose to be exceptional at. And you need to think about how can you choose? Well, I think you choose because you look at the things you're good at and you choose which of the ones you want to overinvest in in terms of your time, energy and learning to make them even better. And so I don't believe that you just sort of leave these strengths to kind of foster and just hope for the best. I mean, you you could try that. But certainly for me, uh, it's much more motivating to think if one of the things that I'm great at is developing new ideas to add value to a business, that's one of the things that I'm great at. I could then think about, okay, well, how do I make sure that I am brilliant at that, that I'm the best at that? Who am I going to read, watch and listen to that are going to inspire me? Who do I want to spend time with? What, what do I stay curious about? And I think it's so easy to not do those things because those things take do take time and everybody's always on and all bombarded with loads of stuff. And so I think the exercises on strengths that we're trying to get people to do is just to uh, distinguish between the good and the great And choose those things because actually we would argue the more time you spend on those things as well, the things that will get you from good to great. Again, it's like a self-fulfilling, positive kind of cycle because the more time you spend on it, the better you'll get. The more frequently they sort of show up, the more that people around you will also help you to spot opportunities for you to use them even more. So it all ends up being this kind of really nice web of you spending more time on the things that you're really good at, which most
3: people Really enjoy. I think one thing that helps for people as well when they're talking about their strengths is if they struggle to say... One of the things I'm great at is developing ideas because they're thinking, oh, gosh, that feels like an arrogant thing to say or whatever. We talk about... If you can talk about what you're great at, that's what you want to be known for, um, and then talk about why someone should care about that. Mm -hmm. So I might say one of the things that I'm great at is um, developing ideas for my organisations. And the benefit of that for this team is we're in a highly competitive um, environment at the moment. And I think in some of these ideas, it might spark new thinking and allow us to break through. And so if you can talk about it in a way that your manager or your team might care about it, then it creates a bit of a pull rather than a push, which I think is if I'm trying to push my strengths on you, that feels a bit awkward and a bit false. But if I can connect it to something you care about, I create a pull for it, which is much more valuable for an organisation.
1: It's interesting. So often we think about careers, we think about jobs, and it's like, what's your next job? And mm. and and it's more than that, isn't it? It's about readying yourself for that. It's about broadening what your experience is. It's about ensuring that you're, that the direction that you're choosing to set sail in, rather than a lot of us only think about careers when, oh, I'm going to change career or I'm going to move. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's very sort of oh what am I going to apply for next and then they it's a bit like um, decorating your flat the moment you're trying to sell it you, sort of, <laughs> you try and paint yourself in that direction rather than being more intentional about where you're trying to steer to your four day week at Sainsbury's trying to steer your career in, in a direction irrespective of the job
2: Yeah and we talk about um, not having career plans but instead exploring career possibilities and that being an ongoing endeavour and that actually if the minute you start to think about your next job is when you want to leave your current job that's way too late because actually to to explore a job takes time and sometimes you explore a job as well to realize that maybe you don't want to do it and that's a really good use of time Mm -hmm. you know I remember exploring a few jobs thinking I wanted to do one thing you know asked if i could go and shadow someone for a little bit asked if i could uh, spend some time with some people in that team and then ended up realizing i'd thought i wanted to do it but actually i would have been really badly suited to that team <laughs> and that's a good that's a good use of time because you've explored it you've built some relationships you then don't have to go and apply for those roles And I think if people can adopt this exploring uh, mindset, it also means you can be more creative in the different things that you explore. It means you can do sideways moves. It means you can do projects. You perhaps can go and work in different industries with the kind of reassurance of I'm taking my strengths with me. I think that's one of the great things about strengths. You take them wherever you go. And uh, somebody gave me some really brilliant piece of advice, which I think is so true in all of our careers, is that your next job is not your last job. And I think if you start to remember that, you go, actually know, know why you're making a choice. Know what you're hoping to gain from it, what you're hoping to learn from it. And, and just don't make it kind of too big a
3: deal because the likelihood is we're going to work for ages anyway. <laughs> There's a story I talk about in the book, uh, which is when I used to work for Capital One. And I applied for a job. as working as like a marketing project manager. And I really wanted to go and work in Insight. Uh, but I'd not told anybody that I wanted to work in Insight. It was just like this internal thing that I had. And so I applied for a job on the intranet, as you do, uh, and applied for it. And uh, I think, did I get an interview? I think I got an interview. I didn't get the job was the default of it. And I was really like, why haven't I got the job? I'd be brilliant at this thing. <laughs> outraged. I, outraged. I mean, I hadn't told anybody that I wanted that job I'd built no relationships proactively I just applied for it and sort of assumed that I was the best person they were very kind they gave me some very great feedback which you don't often get Mm. when you apply and don't get for a job but I was still quite bitter about it (laughs) Uh, and um, a senior manager took me to one side because I think was probably quite fed up of me being really like stomping around the (laughs) stomping around the office and said you know you're going about this all, all wrong you want to put yourself in a position where the jobs are coming to you and In the moment, I remember thinking, well, that's fine for you to say. You're quite, you know, you're very senior. Of course, the job's come to you. But I sort of got over the bitterness and reflected on that statement and thought, what what would it take for jobs to come to you? And over time, I realised that if you can have lots of curious career conversations. So you proactively build relationships with people where you're saying, this is what I'm great at. Is it relevant in this team? Um, What would you be looking for that I might not have today? What's the reality of the environment like here? And either that means that I sort of rule that in and I say, wow, this sounds amazing. I'd love to be considered for something like this in the future. And I've left that person with an understanding about what what I'm great at. Or I have it and I go, oh, thanks very much. (laughs) <laughs> and I sort of leave the conversation there. Mm. And I haven't then applied for a job that I might start because I think it's something that it's not. Um, and when I realized that and started having those career, those curious career conversations, I think that was the point that the role started to come to me in right. my career over time. And to your point around the kind of renting somewhere in house analogy, I think it's the difference between you decide and you want to move house and you can only see the houses that are on the market, and you maybe made yourself a short time period, you're like, well, I've got to move house in three months. It's the difference between that and sort of constantly scanning for Mm. where would I like to live, what's in my area, how can I move to that area over time, and you suddenly have a much bigger world of opportunity than just what's in front of you at that exact time that you've made that decision to move. I
1: I, I really understand that. I mean, like, the metaphor is a perfect one for me because it it makes a really Mm. big difference, doesn't it? It's either, you know, you're just looking opportunistically at what's there, going, that would be better than what I'm doing now. But being more intentional seems to be uh, probably a, the, the big insight. Talk to me about values, about personal values, about company values, about how anyone would be thinking of, about aligning their values and what their values really are.
2: So your values, I think, are your, your DNA, essentially. It's a good way to think of them, as kind of as a proxy. Um, we we describe them as the things that motivate and drive you. And uh, in the book, what we what we try to do is help people discover what their core values can you are. Give me an example
1: of what they might be.
2: Uh, well, we can share. Do you want us to share yeah. our values? Yeah, Because yeah. uh, that would be quite do interesting. It. To be honest, one of the things we say about values... if By sharing them, you default get a very quick insight, I think, to the things Uh, that really matter to me. So you're about to learn a lot about us in a very short space (laughs) of time. Um, So my top four values, my core values,
3: are achievement, ideas, learning, and variety. And mine are freedom, growth, energy and achievement so we both have the achievement overlap right
2: okay. Which is
1: probably
3: useful when you're trying to run your own business and we're <laughs> in year one <laughs>
1: i to not remember if i scribbled down mine if you haven't
3: we'll help you
2: afterwards because
1: <laughs> like, i was actually using the book but i read it a couple of months ago when uh when you sent it to me and um and i did scribble down but i i Right, okay. But achievement, so you two, you've both got that. What well, and That means you're very goals orientated or what does that mean?
2: Well, actually, the second thing to do around values, which is just as important as kind of figuring out what are the right words, is you have to define them for mm-hmm. yourself because actually we could both have achievement as a value but mean something slightly different by it.
3: Okay. And when we
2: do values exercises with loads of people in workshops, thousands of people now, People definitely have the same words, but mean something quite Mm. different by them. You know, people might say the word loyalty, but mean something quite different by loyalty or trust. I think the really key thing is that values are formed when we're really young, actually, like as we're kind of growing up and they sort of sit there from when we're sort of young adults, but we're not really sure, we're often not conscious of them. And I think once you know what your values are... A really good way to spot them quickly and kind of easy or to start to get thinking about your values is often if you think about you at your happiest in your life, just generally life and in your in your whether it's at work or not at work. It's often because you are living those values day in, day out, or you're doing lots of things that are enabling you to live those values. If you think about some of the really tough times or some of the things that you found really hard, it's often because those values are either challenged or taken away in some way shape or form and that can often give you some initial clues we do sort of a career mapping exercise in the book where we talk about career clues and you know values take a while to think about we've both worked on values for a good four or five years before we got to those outcomes but I think you can get some insights quite quickly by just thinking about those what are those highs and lows and what did I have
3: or what, or what did I not have can give you some you know some good initial starting points I think and once you've got them I think they become an amazing decision filter such a powerful thing I think at work uh, there are lots of shiny objects that mm-hmm. can uh, guide our decision making so salary job title companies we might think are amazing Ping-pong on tables. the outside <laughs> ping pong tables bean bags <laughs> whatever it is they, a lot of those things have a lot of allure and maybe external status attached to them and, and they guide a lot of people's career decisions but The thing with shiny objects is they can tarnish quite quickly over time so that extra bit of money or that job title if you're not really happy and fulfilled at work it kind of wears off quite quickly now we're all human and that stuff will probably forever appeal to lots of us for different reasons but if you know what your values are you can use it to have a slightly more balanced decision so if I'm considering do I go and stay in my corporate career or do I go and work on amazing if full-time if I think okay well which one's going to give me more freedom which one's going to give me more energy, which one's going to give me more achievement, which one's going to give me more growth. If I use those as my filter, I can make a decision that's a bit more balanced and is more likely to make me happy over the long term.
1: And you've mentioned that it took four years to get to yours. Do you Mm. think people initially aren't as honest as, as over time they evolve?
3: Um,
2: I don't know whether it's just honesty. I think sometimes uh, we talk about you can't borrow other people's values. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes we do these exercises with people, and some people have some incredible values that I wish I had: yeah. loyalty, <laughs> justice, yeah, like like health—really <laughs> admirable, like amazing values. And you just think, oh, they're such good people.
1: <laughs> but that's why I wonder because I imagine that if you know if you said to someone, "Are you loyal? Do you mm. pursue justice?" Everyone would go, "Yeah, that's me." But when it comes down to the reality of it, I mean, I just love laughter. And so, yeah, so yeah. you know, the, the, the joy of association for me or the joy of sort of um, – I, I haven't reductively boiled it down, but I know that there are some things that are far more important to me than – you know, than than yeah. others. Yeah. But it and would take me a while to get to get to them.
3: It does take a while. It takes you a while to get the word that feels like it resonates with you and to get that kind of that thing that you really believe in to the extent that you'd be comfortable saying out loud on a podcast. But I also love that maybe joy could be one of yeah. your words. yeah and it's, yeah, your, it's like part yeah. of your book. That's yeah. such a nice insight.
2: <laughs> I think your um your question though about company values is a is a really good one and that's something we get asked a lot. So Lots of companies now have company values. Um, Sometimes people wonder, you know, should my values be identical to a company values? No, because companies never use the words that we would use for ourselves. So I don't think you are looking for exact alignment. However, I do think there are some questions you can ask yourself if companies do have values to sort of work out, am I going to be a good fit culturally Mm. for this organisation? I mean, firstly, I think you have to work out how seriously does this company take their values? Because I think that's a whole spectrum in its own right. Some companies live and breathe their values day in, day out. They're evident in everything that they do. Certainly like Sainsbury's was a very values-led organisation. Some of the companies we work with like Cook are incredibly values-led and you can really see it in, you know, all of the way they behave, how they show up, all their communications. Um, And so actually if you're going to work somewhere like that, actually thinking about do my values align, my personal values align really well with this companies would really matter. I think for some companies there may be statements they have but perhaps they're not living and breathing it every day in which case I think it kind of matters a bit less. But I hope more and more companies will think about their values, write them down I think for them to be worth anything, they've got to be bedded into all of the day-to-day practices. Interestingly, when we were interviewing um, Dame Stephanie Shirley earlier this year, and her, I mean, she is in her 80s. When she started her company up, would have been what, I guess like over 40 years ago, she wrote down values for her company and she wrote down like a whole values manifesto and she was so progressive and kind of ahead of her time and she did exactly what companies are talking about doing now. You know, like just what does it mean to work here to be part of this company and it was so authentic and such a brilliant articulation that I think you would know whether that's something you want to opt into or not so I would I anywhere I was going to look I would always look at someone's company values Mm. and then try and figure out how much they mattered.
0: up.
2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Tell me this. So on the debate, so Steve Jobs says you've got to love what you do. Mm. And uh, my personal favorite person is the New York Business School professor, a guy called Scott Galloway. And he says, that's a red herring. You've got to find what you're good at and get better at it. Mm. And so in that debate, tell me, what's your perspective on that debate?
3: I think the love what you do thing Mm. is. I'm not. We're not. And and we're not. Yeah, we're not really big fans. I think think it it Mm. it it sets this really high bar for people that makes them feel like they're not doing a good job or they've not got a good career if they don't love what they do every every day. day, And I think work is fulfilling and challenging and rewarding and difficult all at the same time. I'm more, I personally think it's a combination of your values and your strengths. So if you know what motivates and drives you, so that's your values, and you know what you're great at, and you can connect that as much as possible to your work, then that's that's what you're aiming for, a job that you can be great at and that is fulfilling. But I also think it doesn't all have to come from your job. Mm. So, for example, when we, when we started Amazing If... But I think, you know, one of the things that's important to me is, is, is freedom and achievement. That I have an almost endless need for that. Right? That's the point <laughs> with your values. You don't suddenly go, oh, 10 out of 10, job job done. It's an almost endless need. And so I would have been setting, I was working at Virgin at the time, I would have been setting up my employer to disappoint me if I thought they were going to give me all the achievement and all the growth and all the freedom that I could possibly want because they couldn't. So what I had was I started a side project so that I could be fulfilled in that in a different in a different aspect so it's just if you if you're like oh I've got to love my job every single day and my job's got to be every point in my fulfillment I don't think that's I don't think that's healthy mm. but if you know what you're great at and you know what motivates and drives you and you can look for different opportunities volunteering the day job side projects helping somebody else to find those things too I think you can get fulfillment in quite a few different places.
2: Yeah, I think the some when we first started Amazing If there was quite a lot of those kind of mm. love what you do statements, and there are quite a few companies where you walk in the door and they're shouting at you to love what you do. Mm. Um, and I don't think people like to be told to love what you do, I think you want to sort of discover what it is you enjoy for yourself, but also recognize everybody has a rubbish hour, everyone has like an awful week that's even if you're in the best job ever like we were saying when you um, start your own business with your best friend and you've been running it for six years and we've kind of made this like big leap now into kind of running our own thing Again, you feel like you should be enjoying every single moment. We certainly feel like we should enjoy every single moment because obviously we're trying to help people spend as much time as possible doing that. But we don't love every aspect of what we do. Like, crikey, we're, <laughs> our next podcast episode that we're doing next week is on um, all the things that have gone wrong this year. Amazing. And that's quite uh, a long uplifting. list. Right. It's, it's a really, really right, long list. Okay. um And all the things that we haven't enjoyed. And that's also quite a long list. But that that is okay too. And I think you... You do learn a lot though and I think that's a really important point is thinking about how much learning we're getting from from work and I think choosing jobs based on what you can learn is a really good filter versus what you're going to love. So I would put learning over love, I
1: think. Right. And just on the subject of that, because you talk about future proofing your skills and sort of, and if you can't change your job right now, how can you upgrade yourself? So if someone was sitting sitting there thinking, right, I'm going to, that's the one thing for 2020. That's the one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to future proof my skills. What advice would you give them about setting off on doing that?
3: I think the first thing we would talk about is about curiosity. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the skills that we kind of call out in the book as like a, a kind of a skill for the future. Uh, and it was, you know, Harvard Business View did a big piece of work on this about actually, it's CQ, your curiosity quotient, that is as if not more so important than your IQ, which is quite think, reassuring <laughs> yeah, that we don't all definitely. have to be the smartest person in the room. But perhaps we should be the most curious. And so if someone's thinking, I want to really future-proof myself, I think the first thing you should do is, is kind of very much connected to growth mindset is... but to get get curious, get curious about what you're good at, what you're passionate about, spend time in different places. A lot of people just learn, they almost treat it as like a kind of know-it-all learning thing where they're like, okay, so I work in marketing or procurement and what I need to learn is things that are specifically valuable to that, domain. And actually, like I'm going to, you don't know this, I'm going to like a calligraphy course on Wednesday night. <laughs> uh, and I do lots of I will often just look on Eventbrite for sort of random things to learn because you meet new people and you connect new ideas. And I think if you want to future proof yourself, really thinking about The things that you're interested in, new ways that you can interact with new people, new disciplines that you can learn, and then sort of connecting the dots is a very useful thing to do. If you just treat learning as a tick box exercise, right, in staircase like careers, maybe that was okay Mm -hmm. because you could probably write down the three things you needed to know for each job before you were promoted to the next level. But we don't know most of the jobs that we're going to be doing in the future. We don't know the people that we're going to be working with. They're probably not going to be in this country. They're definitely not going to work with you in the same room because we're all over the place. And so, actually, I think one of the best things that you can do to future-proof yourself is developing a growth mindset and having lots and lots of curiosity.
1: It, it really yeah. strikes me, just sorry, it really strikes me the importance of trying to push back against burnout, then, because one of the symptoms of burnout is is depersonalization, where you just don't want to meet new people, you just mm. you're exhausted with with new people, and probably one of the first Consequences of that is you just that your sense of curiosity is probably uh, Mm. snuffed out.
3: Again, just on that Harvard Business Review thing, there's a there's a really useful survey because so we all obviously learn in sort of different ways. But they um, there's a profile that you can do that people can search and it it talks about three different curiosity profiles. So maybe you're intellectually curious, and so that might be someone that actually doesn't need to be curious by spending lots of time Mm -hmm. with other people. They might just love like diving into research and reading, or maybe you learn. I think it's through people and new experiences. Uh, which you know would appeal to me I'm more of an extrovert and I would feed off that and love that spark ideas or there's one that I think is almost like random curiosity you just like doing those actually that's why it measures you against like a Harvard business view average and you can see kind of where you're off the charts Uh, but I think we don't all learn in different ways but this idea of staying curious and learning and not just treating learning as a tick box exercise for the job that you're doing today is a definite way I think you can future proof yourself.
2: Yeah and I think I can't work out if this goes against the burnout point or not but I would suggest as well if people are thinking, oh, this is the year I want to make a change or I want to do something different, the more you can start doing that for yourself, even if it's in small ways, um, the more beneficial it will be. So it doesn't have to be like I think this word "side project" again can put too much pressure on people because it's sort of become a little bit fashionable. Like now, I totally claim it's like, oh yeah, we started a side project because it sounds quite cool, but we didn't. All we did initially was way before like the podcast once a month we used to do a workshop on strengths or values that hardly any people came to it was just Helen and I really when was it? Uh, Adam Street Members
3: Club which is now closed down okay.
2: yeah a place that doesn't even exist anymore <laughs> some of our friends would turn up and we would just do and we just really enjoyed it we did it because it was fun and we had fun with like doing it together and designing it together uh, there was no intention of it becoming a business there was certainly no intention of it becoming a podcast or a book we were just doing it because that's how we wanted to to spend our time and for me that's how you avoid like the burnout and the stress is would I choose to spend my time doing these things um now I would never choose to do any networking ever I'm really introverted and I'm not very sociable um but I would choose to spend time with Helen developing some really interesting learning that I can see can help people even if it's only for two people And I think if you are really interested in doing something new or different, work out how you can start to explore it in really small ways. And that could be volunteering. It could be small little projects. It could just be taking the time to read one thing. Like people don't even have the time to do that. And I think you have to then... Um, kind of was like positively go, this is what, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to prioritize this. It's really important to me. I'm going to make, I'm going to make this happen. You know, we do our podcast every single week, uh, for 110 or 111 episodes. And we sort of committed to that as just like once a week, we want to spend time talking to each other about an interesting career topic. Now some people listen, but originally it was literally my mum and about three friends. So I, again, I think if you're doing it for the right reasons, maybe that helps with yeah. it not being super stressy.
1: Yeah. And and give me, give me a perspective then. So you talked briefly about your podcast there. If you're going to recommend people to dive into your podcast, Ooh. which is the episode that you'd invite them to? And I'll put it in the show notes. What's the episode that you invite people to listen to?
3: That's such a good question. No one's ever asked us that before. I would do uh, episode 44, uh, which oh is the God, values. That's really
2: specific. <laughs> I don't know a specific number. <laughs>
3: don't worry about that. But it's the values Hello, one, because I think most people <laughs> haven't talked about values right. before, because it's often what you do with a one-to-one coach, and most people like haven't had a one-to-one coach. Uh, and so I think it starts them off thinking about this idea of values, which is quite a long process. And I think for us, it's had one of the most transformative impacts on our career. So that is where I would point
1: people Oh, fantastic. And it's good you say that because I think I said to you, I think I gave you sort of a comment after finishing the book that it felt to me like I'd gone through a coaching session with someone. (laughs) Mm. And most of us, unfortunately, can't afford to pay a careers coach that's going to give us 10, 15 hours of one-to-one coaching. But we probably have a deep need for it. And so my feeling of going through this book was like anyone would sit there going... Right, that's it. There's like a, a penny drop moment. Right, that's it. That's what I need to think more about. So, you know, the fact that your uh, your episode does that, I felt the whole book for me had the impact of feeling like a coaching Good. session there
2: is a coaching episode on the podcast as well if you want that one what I... number though oh, I, I, can't, I can't do that I don't know how Helen did that um I think we recently did one which we called our Christmas party podcast <laughs> and we had four different guests on all from very different backgrounds um two guys called Tom and James who've just climbed um, El Capitan over in Yosemite um, which looks terrifying um, and then a, f- a few of the guests who've all made who kind of doing really progressive things in the world of work and I think that's a really interesting episode to listen to. If you're just thinking oh what does work look like next year and in the future how is it changing and you want to hear some really interesting different perspectives they were all brilliant and they're fun and it's kind of funny and actually I have enjoyed um this year for the first time we've done guest podcasts which you know because you were our first ever guest (laughs) so you're grinning away at me um and pretty much this time last year we thought oh let's test once a month it not being Helen and I talking talking to each other let's have some guests and I've loved that process of meeting new people getting different insights so actually as, as brilliant as I like to think we are I really enjoy the guest episodes because yeah, yeah. it's just that new insights that you get
1: I'm so thrilled that um, you were my guests today. And we were able to <laughs> go through the book. I think you know the, the thing that I'm so drawn to of all the stuff that, and the journey that you've been on through the podcast and the book is that you've set about trying to be this sort of ray of light, helping people and guiding people. And and people have you know the audience has gone up, and people have have found uh, you, you found an audience for this book. And so I just think it's uh, for for me it's it's thrilling to chat to you because I think what you're doing is so special. Thank
3: you so Thank much you so for much. all your Brilliant. thoughts. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you to Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis. The Squiggly Career is brilliant. It's it's a gorgeous looking yellow paperback um, and you'll find it in bookshops now. I'm giving away a copy that I bought. I give a bit of uh, support to people, haven't you? If you share this episode on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram, I'll choose a winner next week and send the book over with a copy of the paperback edition of The Joy of Work. I find them such an inspiration and I was thrilled to chat to them. Like I say, the next episode is the start of a series. How can any of us fix our work culture? And it's called Fix Your Work. It's a 10-part series. Starts next week. Hope to speak to you then. I've been Bruce Daisley. Thanks for listening. Hold
0: up.